We're back. Episode 20. Episode 20? Episode 20. Tanner wrote it on my sheet in big, bold letters so I didn't screw it up. And possibly our last episode in this space. Studio. Yeah, we might be moving spaces. Well, let's let's intro first here. So welcome, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in again. Master Master Keys Keys Podcast. Here with Chandler Halliburton, Neil Andrino. We are, yeah, episode 20. Today we are going to be talking about a few different things, but predominantly... The metaverse. Oh, the metaverse, the metaverse. As you can hear by Chandler's sigh, he's a little bit concerned. I'm into this verse. I'm into our verse, our universe. the universe. I don't need these other verses. But it sounds like some other people are into the metaverse. So we're going to dive into that. Yep. Find out why you should sell all your real land and buy metaverse land. Well, I know you've mentioned this and a lot of people mentioned this is kind of cool, like where attention and energy goes, money follows. Yes. There's a lot of attention being paid to the metaverse and its different forms and incarnations. And there's certainly a lot of energy going into it as well, both intellectual energy and just time playing usage. You know, these dudes are locked in the rooms doing this stuff. So money's following. It's insane. Yeah. Prepare yourselves. So creepy. Before we go down that, we'll do our, our recap. Yeah. Well, first of all, what's going on with you? So, yeah, for me, I closed on a single family buy last week. Right. And I love how now we're getting like all these things documented because one time Neil was grinding my gears about buying random stuff and how I should be buying bigger stuff. And it was the same, the same week that I knew that he had bought this single family home and some other random crap. Let me clarify, let me clarify here. Let me clarify. That's I think he clarified at the time, but you're, it's, it still doesn't hold water. It's zoned for multi-units. Yeah. Five mm. stories as of right. Chandler can go pound sand with his duplex buys. Yeah, how many units can you fit on it? Not that many. Maybe like <laughs> 20 or something. I don't know. No, it's but fine. you know what? And to be honest with you, same as you when you bought yours, then I now have immediate regret in the <laughs> sense that I don't know if it's worth my time, energy, and effort. And this is a big thing we've talked about is creating your plan, and I don't know if it fits my plan. A lot of agents listen to this podcast. So if you're interested in buying it for exactly 50,000 plus fees above what Neil paid for it. <laughs> yeah, hit, hit me up. Apparently there was a few people interested at the same time. So yeah, there was uh, for sure. We're going to, we're going to rent it out and we'll get a good strong rent on it. And uh, yeah, but if somebody wants to buy it, let me know. It is, it is zoned well. The neighbors are willing to sell. There's some potential there. Let's put a package together. Yeah. This is just a, an advertisement for Neil's property. Yeah, exactly. This is what we've been wanting this whole time. But uh, yeah, so I did that, and then in about two weeks, uh, I'll be closing on the 19 unit I've talked about many times. So that's coming along. Financing's in good place. I'm really excited about that. We got a good lender that's going to do a blanket over another property that I have, and and then also offer us good, strong construction financing on like a two-year term. And it's at a reasonable rate. It's like prime plus like 200 base points, like basically four or four and a half percent, which for construction money, honestly, uh, is pretty reasonable. Um, obviously, if you go the full 25% down and you follow all the construction rules, you can get it down to like 2.5% money. But these guys are a little bit more flexible, uh, 85% loan to cost on construction. Um, That's good. Working with appraisals for draws versus mm. a construction monitor, which is really nice because construction monitor is a job in itself, I find. Yeah. Um, and can be expensive too because every time you do a report, it costs money and it takes a long period of time because you have to create the report, send it to them, get it approved, pay for it. They got to come out and inspect and there might be changes and you got to do the report again and it, it can be a big pain in the butt. So anyways, long story short, I'm, I'm excited with that. And that same lender is actually looking to refinance uh, 30 units for me that I have already. 
and replace what I have in place for construction financing because there is a much lower rate because uh, mm-hmm. right now I'm with private money. Um, so yeah. they could save me a few bucks because right now I'm paying 12.99%. Woo! So yeah, Damn. everybody listening, that is, I am- 12.99? But that was the only way to get in. I wasn't bankable, right? Mm-hmm. This is the thing. I didn't have the funds in the banks to, to do it. So I had to- I had So to this is from the first stuff. wave? So yeah, this started, this is on the same street that I own majority uh, of the buildings on. And what it was is it was from the first wave and it rolled forward. And then due to the environmental issues that I faced earlier, I was unable to get it covered. But this bank is actually willing to step in with the quote that I have for my environmental work. Mm -hmm. And we're factoring in as part of my construction budget. Right. And so their understanding of that. And with a two-year term, that's enough time for me to get it done. So they're going to include that in there uh, as part of the renovations for me to do the work to right. get the Enviro remediated. So that was on these most recent acquisitions. This this wasn't m- private money you were holding from your ones down the road. Both. Oh, really? So I'm actually going to blanket over all of it, remove what all What are you going to do with all your free found cash flow month to month when you're not paying that extortionary thing? <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, that's going to free up about, uh, I think around 16000 a month, sixteen to $20,000 oh a month. Oh my gosh. So that's I, awesome, man. That, that is, that's like huge- an albatross- it's a huge burden off the Coming shoulders. Off, yeah. And, and it's nice now because we actually have some units rented up, right? For the longest last year and a half, I've had all these units all all empty. So, you know, it's a, it's a big step. I'm, I'm super excited. And uh, this bank is awesome. They're out of Toronto. They actually were on pause because of COVID. They were coming oh, yeah. here about two, three years ago. They just started lending here this year. They came after phase three was opened. So. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man. That's super exciting. That's super yeah. exciting. And then uh, the last thing was this morning I had a meeting with some counselors at Halifax City Hall. And we're just talking about some other development sites that I have. Single site for me and then my clients also have one uh, in the Bedford area. Mm-hmm. And we were just discussing like the potential of what would go there. Now, Bedford's a bit of a different market in the sense that they're not looking for high rises. They're more in the low to mid rise. Yeah. So we were just kind of chatting with the counselor, kind of getting a feel for the neighborhood, what he foresees, how kind of what the, the market sentiment is right now. And... Um, Unfortunately, he said it's not very positive. <laughs> no, I don't think you're going to get a lot of neighborhood support in a lot of areas of Bedford, which which is yeah. why you don't see a lot of rentals around there. I mean, yeah. anyone ever asks like, oh, what do they feel about development in this particular area? It's like, well, drive around and see if there is any. Yeah. And there's not a whole there's lot. Enough. Like they did some stuff down when they redid all the whole waterfront and there's those condo buildings down there. But even those are pretty low rise in the grand scheme of things. 35 And then feet. they've pushed – Obviously, a lot onto, onto the main drag there, Bedford Highway, and then in the newer areas of Bedford, they've pre-designated pads when they do these master plans for these communities. But if you're in kind of old Bedford, yeah, uh, good luck. Where's your site in Bedford? Uh, it's actually in the Rocky Lake area, okay, so behind yeah, yeah. Sunnyside Mall. Yeah, I think we're in a good spot to get a small building. Nothing crazy, not nearly the densities you'd see in other parts of the city. Mm-hmm. But that was actually the recommendation of the council. They said, you want to make sure that your neighbors are on board. That's going to be your biggest opposition, honestly. Mm-hmm. He said, you'll you'll get the counselors. He's like, yeah. make sure you bring good design. He said, that's a big part that he says a lot of developers in Bedford have missed is they come with this classic box style building. And on top of kind of upsetting with the residents that they're going to add density, they're adding ugly density. Right, right. So he said, make an effort to come with good design that can fit the neighborhood. How Townhouses fronting. Right. Right now, my site's big enough based on the current zoning laws, I think it was around 30, uh, short of mm-hmm. that, 20, 28 or something, which isn't bad. Not bad, not bad. I, I bought it expecting to do 16 townhouses. So if I can go for a, like a three-story with 30 units, right? Not it's not yeah. the worst. It's an acre. It's an acre site. Oh, um, is, it, is it well in septic there? Or? No, no, it's all okay. city services. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But again, he also said the timelines are long. 
Yeah. So for me, it's kind of a backburnered, <clears throat> a backburnered yeah. site. I just gonna get the ball rolling, and when it does come through, hopefully in a few years, I'll be in a position to throw it up. You know, that's what I mean? sort of an area that um, you'll get a little less pushback because it's not as densely populated by other people. So the, mostly renters. Yeah, when they do their notice to the neighborhood, they do it based off geography. I think it's like a kilometer mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, so that's who gets notices of all the hearings. And in that area, there's just going to be way less people. Yeah. And a lot of them are renters. Yeah. So you will get less community engagement than maybe some other locations. But yeah, yeah that's cool. That's cool. There's that's commercial cool. and industrial too. Like for one side yeah. of me, 50% yeah. of me has got commercial on one side. That so yeah. Big time. And, and again, I, I want to do – this was a weird one. So I, I said to him, hey, how about like stack townhouses? Because I think those look the bomb. Like I think they look super, super nice. Yeah, they blend in a little bit more. They're, they're kind of more traditional in their look. So that appeases some people who maybe don't like change that much. Yeah, yeah. But he said they're just not favorable. People don't – which I thought was so weird because you weird. see in BC yeah. they got townhouses, uh, stack townhouses. Alberta, tons of stack townhouses. I believe in Toronto there's stack townhouses. Everywhere I went in the Montreal, states, Montreal, it's a common thing. Yeah, Montreal, that, yeah. Everywhere I drove in the states, there were stacked townhouses yeah. like crazy amounts, and they do them very neat. Like you'll have one main floor, one they have garages, but like on the corners they'll have two entrances, and they could be really unique yeah. and, and nice style. And they kind of they can fit into a single the brickyard family around here is kind of like that in a lot of respects. Yeah. yeah, but just in general, there's there's no favoritism, I guess, towards them. Weird. So it's either he's like either you're going to do townhomes or you're going to do an apartment building. There doesn't seem to be that in between. Which mm-hmm. I thought like the old Bedford would be a perfect neighborhood to yeah. receive stacked townhomes because yeah. they look very high end, maintain an aesthetic, stay within the 35 feet height, but add enough density to make it worthwhile to build. Do yeah, I mean? yeah. That surprises me. Do so, want to be more open to that, but. Anyways. It, on, that's exciting. Yeah. The other two things that he mentioned that I'll mention to you as well, just I want to get some feedback from you is he talked about inclusive zoning. Have you heard anything about that? Um, only that uh, the municipality was granted permission to use it kind of through the provincial – I don't exactly know why logistically they needed permission from the province to, to do that, but uh, that it's now going to be a tool that council will have when reviewing projects to – I don't know if force is the right word, but like require certain percentages. Yeah. Why, what was he sort of saying? Yeah. So inclusive zoning, so for <clears throat> people who don't know what that is, is basically what they're saying is, okay, so now – right now we have like you you make your application and then – Usually what they're offering is people say, okay, well, I'll give some affordable for a bonus in density right. or preferable or preferred financing uh, or preferable financing, sorry. But instead now they're saying they're going to go down the – potentially go down the inclusive zoning path where it's saying, okay, if you're building a 10-story building, you have to have a unit per floor or two units per floor yep. that are affordable. Yeah, because they were setting aside this money that would go in coffers and the idea would be like then down the road, they would use that for something else. But uh, that money then just sits in this coffers and, and then they never know how to direct it and blah, blah, blah. And then it sort of delayed the immediate impact where, like, okay, this project got finished. We got this money, but now we have to take this money, pivot it over here and find something else that could be years and years away. Yeah. It wouldn't have been better to have just made them do it in the existing project. He, he just mentioned that that seems to be a much more prevalent thing that they're talking about quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and something to look for in the coming years. It's also going to jack the value of existing permits and existing development applications that are approved. Because exactly. if you already have it and it didn't earmark inclusive zoning, then you're kind of grandfathered in to not including this. The obvious question is going to be how much and what constitutes affordable? How is that going to be allotted? Because you're getting the same applica- applicant walking through the open house for the whole building. Yeah. And then – they're applying just, yeah, I would like to live here in one of these units. Do they get ushered over here based on some pre-qualification yep. or, or not, right? So there's a lot of things to work out 
um, about it, but it uh, it sounds good, and there seems to be a lot of interest in doing what sounds good. Yeah, whether yeah. or not it there, there's some merits, good is but a if it, question. exactly if it's if it's laid out properly. And then again, I don't have much more on that because he didn't really have much himself to, to provide with us because I think it's still very infant stages. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I found in the meeting that CMHG's preferable financing was thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. like in a crazy amount as kind of like, why is it even a question to build affordable <clears throat> when CMHG offers you such a great program for building affordable? Bullshit. Why, why wouldn't <clears throat> you, <laughs> why wouldn't you build with affordable because it just makes it so much easier to finance? And I remember you yeah. last week had mentioned – that might not be the case. So I kind of want to hear what your take was and get maybe some more detail. Yeah, I mean, on that. like that's I don't. I feel like that's a horse that's been beaten numerous times over. Uh, one, it doesn't result in affordable housing, really. You know, yeah. fourteen to eighteen hundred dollars. That that's been covered at length in, in the media. That that's not really solving the deep affordability question. Uh, but the challenge more recently is, uh, yeah, it was great if you got approval for it 12 months ago when rates were at an all-time low because they make you build in this flexible range to your application knowing that during the course of your two-year build-out, rates are going to change. Yeah. So they build it out a, a wide band uh, and qualify you within that. That's similar to how they stress test individuals going for residential mortgage. Like they stress test you, test you at a higher rate than you'll actually get. And they have to do the thing, same thing speculatively on a construction uh, financing. And I know since the time that I began looking at my current build and, and drawing out all the numbers in the spreadsheet, it's gone up a full percentage point, which doesn't sound like much until you get into the nuance of, oh my gosh, you know, that changes my numbers this little bit. And in order to get the deep affordability that I might qualify me for this program. Like I can't do it. And it, and this sounds like a, oh, well you just make it affordable and then they give you the money and things are great. It doesn't matter if you can't afford still to pay the mortgage. The numbers on it get so, so tight. Like you do have to qualify for the mortgage. And if they make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, like that is the rents, that all sounds good. But if you can't cover the mortgage payments, the building doesn't get built. So this idea that that is a solve everything is so ignorant of the reality of that program. It's very, 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 very difficult to get. I mentioned before that it was one in four that got approved years ago. Now it's probably one in five or one in six. And if rates do what we all expect them to do over the next 24 months, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to be applicable in any way, shape or form. And then there's the fact that it doesn't address what the actual problem is. And this is something that I would think with all the conversation we have about affordability, that we wouldn't still be playing these games of talking about affordable with a capital A and it meaning different things to different people. Nothing about that program is going to address the real affordability issue, which is rents under $1,000. You know, because the only yeah. way you can do rents under $1,000 in new construction, especially, is if the government builds it. Subsidy. Like, or government. The government has to build it. Yeah. Because you cannot build it and rent it for $1,000 and under. It's not possible. And where that supply is, is quickly disappearing, the government is going to have to intervene and build that stock. And they refuse to acknowledge it. And so they throw around all these other things and people pat themselves on the back and you know yell different obscenities online as if that's somehow moving the needle until the government steps up and says, we are going to build these units. There is not going to be any affordability in the marketplace under $1,000. You can be upset about that. You can blame that on the private sector or whatever you want to do, but that is a fact. It is not changing. It is only going to get worse. So until the government builds and manages and operates and runs these buildings themselves at a loss, 
there's not going to be affordability under a thousand bucks. Don't know how many times you have to say that. It's I was so pl- obvious. I don't. I was playing know. this broken record in my head, man. As they continued to say CMHC at the meeting today, yeah, I could hear you saying it, Chandler. I could hear it in the back, and I was like. Chandler's getting pissed right now. Listen, it is a fine program and it can be helpful to the builder. It is not going to move the needle any substantial amount when it comes to affordability, even in the mid-range. But it's certainly going to have zero, zero, zero impact uh, at deep, deep affordability. And I I think everyone should know that from a common sense perspective, but it still doesn't answer that problem. Where are these people going to go that are trying to pay under a thousand bucks a month? And we've touched on that in previous episodes. So I would yeah. say if you haven't heard that, take a take a listen on that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, give us some feedback. And again, if someone has a solution or a way that they think would make sense, we are super open to receiving it, looking at it, and dissecting it. So yeah, let us know because we have gotten a lot of comments with people saying what our, the issue is, but not much on the way of alternative options or, or ways to kind of handle it. So we, we'd be very open to see what people have for ideas. Yeah. I, I don't even know, like... The, the ideas are going to be, uh, well, landlords just like home ownership shouldn't even be <laughs> private. Uh, it's not a real job. And, you know, you shouldn't be able to make money off of housing. Well, well, all those things we just can fundamentally disagree on. Private property laws in Canada states that you are allowed to privately own property. And there's tons of things that are a human right, i.e. education, health care, all of these things, including housing, that, yes, they're a human right. Uh, but that doesn't mean people cannot make money off them. Teachers make money. Universities make money. Doctors make money. Landlords make money. It has to be fair and equitable and people need to treat each other with respect. But if you're laying this entirely at the feet of the private sector, you are going to get nowhere because it's not going to be fixed by way of the private sector. Thoughts on this since we're going down this path a little bit here. I know. Why are we going down this path? I don't know. Uh, It's fine. I I like it in Chandler all heated up. There's (laughs) steam coming out of his headset right now. Yeah. I'm also getting messages, texts from my mother-in-law asking me about the hockey gear from my son that's in my trunk right now. (laughs) So I'm texting her and this is also causing steam coming from my ears, though I love my mother-in-law very much. We may lose Chandler on this episode. But so recently CBRE, which is a large commercial firm that does a lot of different things, marketing, properties, um, they do appraisals, market studies, and they're quite involved heavily in real estate on all aspects, office, commercial, multi-residential. They hosted an event in Halifax and a developer stood up with with some pushback and some words for the city here. I couldn't make it and I'm so gutted because I read the transcript and I was like, my gosh, I would have done that thing where like, I would have stood up on the desk like, oh, captain, my captain, like did that whole thing, the slow clap, like... (laughs) And I like, think yeah, a lot of people were whew. there and a lot of people were afraid to do that though because they didn't want to upset anybody. But it was good that the big developer stood up. He's one of the large, not largest, but he's definitely one of the big players in the city. He's uh, one of the largest. He's one of the largest, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he is the largest. I don't no, want to drop any, know. whatever. I don't know. But he's in, he's in that yeah. wheelhouse. And um, one thing he made, which I thought was an interesting point, is for essential ne- things, essential products and services or whatever, there's no HST on them. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. housing... Oddly enough, and and but there is HST in Halifax, but in other cities, like I don't think in Toronto, there's no HST on their on their housing projects. Interesting, because housing is an essential requirement. Yes, it's like milk and books. Yeah, and my thing is, is again, this yeah. is the same thing where I'm sure a lot of people will give us the feedback that like, oh, like the builders make lots of money, they should pay the HST. Yeah, <clears throat> the fifteen percent boils down to your rent. Your rent's also going to be fifteen percent higher to just cover. It. That's all that happens. It's it's not. It just gets yeah. passed down the line. So I was just curious. Like, Yeah, that'll just be right as like, oh, developers want a big tax break. It's like, no, what we're all agreeing is that this needs to come down in price. 
Yeah. Price is input and output. Yeah. Your input pricing, your output pricing. They move together. Yeah. 15% on something that you're saying you're trying to make more affordable for people. I, I understand the rationale. Do I think it's realistic? No. But his point stands. Yeah. And he had a few other points there, some of them a, a lot more aggressive in his language. And he was tackling the things with or, or commenting on uh, this paying for bonusing Density. for you know affordability. And you can all of a sudden build buildings higher and all these things. And yeah, it, it's great. That, that sentiment is growing. That sort of enough is enough, you know, speak some sense to these things and, and, you know, put out these viewpoints that are maybe not popular, but they're right. And there's people who know what they're talking about. Well, it's getting to a point where like on a $20 million project, almost $5 million of it goes to the government. Probably if not more, realistically. Yeah. And it's just like, where, what is, what is happening uh, from that money? So let's talk about taxes, Neil. I was going to say, since- Now they got me all worked up. Chandler, I think I've got Chandler fired up now. He's ready to throw some punches. We should get a little speed bag next Yeah, time. I had a rough night too. Yeah. I had a rough <laughs> night. I'm wearing the same clothes as I wore yesterday. Um, I don't know if we want the full which, story. <laughs> no. <laughs> Evidently, is also the, the same shirt as I wore it in the previous podcast. Though I have the same shirt in multiple different colors, uh, but all slight variations of the color navy. <laughs> Like, I think this is black, not navy, but I'm like Inspector Gadget. I open the closet and there's the same shirt over and over again. On the topic of taxes. Yeah. Nice shirt, though. I love your shirt. Great shirt. Looks good. Everyone let them know the shirt looks good. Thank you. On top of that, so not only do we actually pay those taxes, they proposed effectively a 6% property tax increase across the board. Not just for landlords, for residential homeowners, commercial buildings, commercial spaces, everybody. 2.9% of it's an actual increase in taxes to go towards services. And the other 3% is towards what they call a climate action tax, which again, mm-hmm. nobody within Canada, no other province has what's called a climate action tax. We would be the first to do so. We already pay some of the highest property taxes in Canada uh, at mm-hmm. a rate of effectively 1.2%, I believe it was what it works 1. out 1. to. 1.26, give or take. 1.26%. And then I forget what it is for commercial, I'm going to give kind of varies, but around, was it 3. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is well, yeah. but it's, it's over there. 3%. Anyways, so yeah, they're looking at doing a 6% tax. I'll let you speak on it first. So again, again, what confuses me about this is. It's proposed by the way. It's not in yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is what, um, people do when this is kind of a back and forth. So staff recommended this, which means a bunch of people who all make six figures down at city council are like, there just doesn't seem to be enough money to go around. I don't understand why. And they propose this tax hike and the counselors get to say, oh, well, gosh, you know, I'm going to oppose that to get it down a little bit. And I think the mayor said. Oh, no, maybe like 3.7. I mean, we know it won't be 3.7, but maybe we try to get it closer to 3.7, blah, blah, So the 4.5 or whatever we end up with at the end is going to look like a win by some person's imagination. Uh, and we're going to have this big tax increase. Again, I just don't understand how people can look at these things and not connect A to B and, and, and see what some of the other problems might be because a lot of this gets laid at the feet of the private sector and landlords and all this. And yet you have things like this, which you'd think for some looking in and be like, well, maybe that's a little issue right there because we're saying we want housing to be more affordable for owners. You know, we want it to be more affordable for tenants and we increase property taxes. And we say we want to encourage more rental stock and permitting has never been higher. It's been jacked through the roof. We say we want to encourage home ownership and make that more attainable for young people. And there's talk about raising deed transfer tax by upwards of 25% or 33%. Which is already enormous. And there's money that's being given to developers, but 
the government hasn't committed to build not one single unit that they would own and operate and run at a loss themselves. So you get to this point where what the government is saying and what they're doing are in contradiction. And I don't care how you feel about your landlord. Uh, just set that aside for a second. I just don't understand how someone could look at that and say there's not something else going on here. And meanwhile, a report came out that there were over 400 units, public housing units in empty. Nova Scotia sitting empty. Yeah. So explain how this makes sense and how could they get away with doing this? And the way they got around it and the, the way they can do this is by calling it a climate change tax because you know they're worried about getting all these angry woke people online to get on their Twitter fingers and start yelling at the counselors again. And so they was like, oh, call it a climate change tax and be like, oh, those same people be like, well, we can't argue against the climate change tax because we're pro, you know, all this stuff. How, okay. But it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I got, I got a couple of things I got to say, but oh. regarding the climate change tax, I, I get it. I'm all for it. But on the flip side, the reason I'm not all for the, necessarily putting up the 3% right now, but they have all these things they want to do. We have so many bigger issues right now than electric buses. Thank you. This is the issue. Like, like this is these would be things we do. Okay, so the city's going really, everything's going really well. Everyone's we're like fake, covering all of our other problems. All right, now we're going to implement like an electric bus system. But instead, yeah, they're like, all right, like we got all these tents, but how nice would it be if we had sixty electric buses around town that you all paid for? Yeah. So you have to prioritize while we're trying to build this like you know socialist green utopia. That's all great. We don't have the money. Yeah. We don't have the money, and. I don't understand. Does anyone down at the city know the word cutback? Because I haven't heard the word cutbacks uttered in forever. No. Right? Like, I don't remember the last time that that was in the news. Like, I think they're going to be cutbacks because there's only two ways for council, the city, the municipality to handle cash flow, right? You either increase revenue, i.e. taxes, or you have cuts. And they just don't seem to think the latter exists anymore. So it's all tax-based. But what is our priority? I was under the impression, based on what everyone talks about and what's in the news, was that housing was the priority. So why are we going out of our way to make housing more expensive? To be abundantly clear, property tax revenue has never been higher in the history of our city. It's, it's never insane. been higher because houses have never been more expensive. So that 6% tax increase that we're talking about, that's 6% tax on top of the, what, 20% appreciation in home values? Two years in a row. Right? Yeah. So that revenue has never been higher ever. D-transfer tax has never been higher ever. And all of a sudden, we still have no money. We're short money. Yeah. So- Something has changed because the revenue intake is higher than ever, and yet the expenditure, we can't keep up. We can't afford these buses. And I mean, I'm not saying these these aren't good initiatives. Uh, it's prioritization. Like we said, like, why are we making housing and real estate more expensive at this time right now? I don't get it. Constantly. I, I yeah, Exactly. I don't understand. It is funny. Of the $700 million that they say they need to cover, $400 million of it is towards 250 electric buses. That That, like, I just, that one I feel like is just so ridiculous yeah. when you have what's going on in the city right now. And like, well, no, 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 no. We're going to get you these unreal buses. And I'm like, do we need to? Is that, is that a focus right now? Well, listen, I, like I've been adamant that part of an affordable city is a city that that metro, like that transit's a big part of. 100%. Right? But you, we have to prioritize. Yes. Like you can't be all things to all people at all times when we are on a budget unless we do things like just jack the taxes. But this idea that there are no consequences to that, like it just got more expensive for people to live in their homes. 
It got more expensive to, it's already been way more expensive to build new rental stock. The increased property taxes are going to slowly get passed down to tenants one way, shape or the other. And what about all the commercial tenants out there who are on triple net leases? Exactly. Right, they're going to get jacked. Like you want these businesses to try to survive, and they're just going to get hit with this massive property tax increase. Because if you're a commercial tenant, oftentimes you're on a triple net lease. That means you pay the property tax. And they have they have a stat here: commercial taxes on average would rise of twenty by twenty five hundred bucks. So that's on average. The average business yep. now is going to take another another kick of twenty five hundred dollars. The thing that I think I found I want to say funny is the two point nine percent. They said need to be put in due to the considerable effect from inflation. Oh my gosh, isn't that rich? Which is funny, because on the flip side, we got 2% rent control. Yeah. And everyone's freaking out because we have inflation, like we can't pay our bills. So the city, the city's <laughs> increasing their their yep. income by 3% to try and mitigate some of the expense increase that they're facing. But they've now limited the whole private sector to a 2% increase. So do you know why they say they have these 400 units? Because again, I think that bears repeating. There are more than 400 empty public housing units in the province of Nova Scotia right now, sitting empty. Yeah. And part of the reason is like, oh, we can't find tradespeople to do it and we kind of don't have the money because it seems like everything in the rental world and the real estate world has gone up in price. It's like, no kidding. Yeah, but no two, kidding. 2% lock. Let's go. So everyone who's now like way up in their insurance costs, they're now going to be up in their property tax as well. They're already way up in their permitting while everything else is already inflated. And somehow they think this is an environment that is conducive to making housing more affordable. And the only thing they're going to do is one, you know, they're going to continue to distract you because how could they get away with something like this is the obvious question. Like how aren't people more upset about this? And there's been some pushback, but like not the sort of pushback that you get. This doesn't get as much hits or traction on an article about this as, you know, some, you know, landlord lost increase. in a small claims about uh, a $500 security in deposit. One unit, in one unit. That'll, that'll get in one unit. Yeah. That'll get like a thousand likes and comments, whatever. And this people don't even seem to notice or care. This has real world ramifications on a million people, on a million people. And no one will notice it because one, just call it a climate change tax because all those keyboard warriors can't be possibly angry about a climate change tax. And two, they just know you're still going to be distracted, blaming landlords for all this problem. You know, I don't care what you think of your landlord, whether you love him, hate him. Look at this in a vacuum and ask yourself, like, is this something that I think is good for home property affordability, be it renting or owning in this province right now? And it's just not. Like, of all years to do this, it's crazy. Housing, everyone's assessment's going up. So the government always likes to play this line like, oh, we didn't raise property tax rates this year. We're, we're really good people. We, we, we didn't raise them this year. It's like, yeah, because the price of housing has been going up so much every single year that they've been getting all these inflationary increases in property tax. That's BS to cry poor on inflation because all the houses just inflated in value. And as such, the tax base has just gone way up. So they're making all this more money. Like they've never brought in more money. The other thing is they're using a tax assessment value for their numbers from like previous years, like from the last yeah, year. they know when that's going to The next up. ones come yeah. out, they're going to be 25, 30% higher. Yeah. So they're, they're showing it as a windfall of $120 per person, but it'll likely be another 20% on top of that. Yeah. Which, the property that I just purchased went up 25% in property tax between 2019 and 2020, and then went up a more modest, maybe 10% last year. And I bought it. So now it's going to get jacked way up. Like 30%. they've been making this money. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. 
I don't know what to say. But, like, it's just so frustrating that people don't even, like, they won't even notice this sort of thing. Another, you know? Another one. What's that? Another one. Another one. Just add, add it on to the list. Yeah. We had a few people ask about that. So, anyways, as you can see, I mean, a little bit disappointed in, on where it is. The other thing, I think, in, I think the most disappointment is the action. I think, again, like, these, these, it makes sense. Like, taxes obviously do need to go up, but we need to see the action in response. And it just doesn't feel like we're seeing that. There's a lot of talk about how the city's going to reach these population targets. I don't understand how it's going to reach these population targets if they're not building the housing and the infrastructure needed. Like, they're, they're so slow to, like, to do any of the things that are required. And like you said, they've now I think it's getting to the point where they're banking, they're banking cash and they need to make moves. So, anyways. Well, and, and, you know, then there's that disconnect between, well, what's, you know, the municipal responsibility for housing? What's provincial? Again, through all this, like, because another thing that was in the news, the province just wrote a bunch of money, millions of dollars, because they did a call. They said, all right, does anyone have any projects that are going to have an affordable component? We will give you money. And so there's an office building conversion in downtown Halifax that got just under $2 million bucks, um, and they're going to keep a 50, number. 50000 a unit. What's that? 50000 a unit. Yeah. Or was it 25000 a unit? I don't know. They got $1.9 million bucks and it's like 100 units. You did the math. It's 25000 a unit. And they're going to keep a certain number of units, maybe like 28, 30 units in there mm-hmm. at about $1,000 a month for one bedroom. And then they've given some money in to a project in Kentville, which I think is going to be more seniors, one level living. And then there's another project. I can't remember where it is. And then they're looking for bids to do something affordable in Coal Harbor. So again, they're giving this money to private sector to go out and say like, fix this for us. And so far, like the best they got was $1,000 for one bedroom. It's like 1050 for one bedroom unit, presumably plus utilities, today's pricing. By the time that's finished two years from now, it's going to be higher. None of, and the others are like 1400 plus utilities, give or take. None of that solves the deep affordability issue, which everyone says they care about, which would be people trying to live for under $1,000 a month. None of that does anything. The only way to do that is for the government to build the units. And have they said anything at all about units they're going to build? No. Yeah. But good news. I have good news for you, Chandler. There's an alternative. There is an alternative. If you don't like this world. That will fix all of your problems. Literally every you know single one of Maybe them. Maybe I am into it. Yeah. See? Maybe I am into it. Where am Prepare I going? Prepare yourself. I just need you to put this headset on here. <laughs> oh, man. Enter the metaverse. Yep. So, uh, you you put me onto this a couple weeks ago when this was just bubbling under the surface. Everyone saw the news of like, oh, Facebook has changed their name to Meta. You know, what's that weirdo up to? Exactly. So, th- I mean, the Metaverse has been around for a while, actually quite a while. Uh, it's becoming a lot more real and relevant in kind of today's day and age. And I think the thing that kind of turned the page for the average person, including kind of myself, was Facebook changing its name to Meta. And then... Yeah, that's what got everyone's attention. And it got everyone's attention. So, first off, do you know what the metaverse is? I do, but, I mean, my first thing, my lay thing is like, oh, you mean like virtual reality? Effectively. Yeah. But you you know this stuff better than I do. So, I just, I'm uh, this is where I show my age, man. This just makes me all angry. So, you just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, the metaverse is kind of like, for lack of a better term, I'll call it like Internet 3.0 in some sense. So, Internet 1.0 was when they first got it. Like, and it became mainstream. It was basically dial up. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> dial up, text on a, on a screen. <clears throat> you pretty much just kind of consumed from it. Internet 2.0 was when you got to this point of kind of interacting with it. So the things we have now where there's video, audio, we, we can input and people can take stuff from it as well. Yep. If this is kind of going to 3.0 in some sense, and it's a hybrid of some other items as well. But 
for lack of a better term, it gets to a point where you're now it's almost immersive. And I think the best example that most people can kind of see is Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is like you're entering into another world or uh, Fortnite. You're entering into another world yeah. to act again as a character in that world and do things. Um, and those worlds aren't as static as they once were. Like no. the the first-person shooter or whatever they're yes. called. I'm not a big gamer guy, so I'm going to show my ignorance here. But when I was young, it was like, all right, GoldenEye was the thing, and then yeah. it was Halo, and then I guess like Call of Duty and all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're a guy in this world – and then it, over time, it's like, oh, man, like you could play with three other friends if you each had a controller and plugged them in and we're in the same room. Yeah. And then it evolved to like online. And now it's kind of that to the nth degree. But those were still like in static spaces, right? Like yeah. they were pre-designed by the company and like you couldn't change the world in there. But that's what's also kind of changing. Exactly. And so you were – even now, like you use your phone so you can work off of your phone – this is effectively now literally taking you into that world uh, through a VR headset, potential suits, and the whole works where you get some tactile feedback. It's probably will start with gloves. Uh, they'll give you tactile feedback from touching things. That'll eventually morph into, I believe, full suits. Jay is having a little freak out right now. Uh, no, it's. I think it's very cool. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just been. It's been so infancy. Like it's been just not at a level that people expect to be able to consume it on the average day to day level. But it's out, which is good. So it's getting a lot of playtime. Anyways, I've I've been fairly excited about this because I think it's going to change things. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is saying five to ten years. I think the realistic timeline is more like twenty years. But I also have some concern that it's going to impact yeah. our day to day. And I was even saying to Chandler before we came on, I have some concern that it'll impact how real real estate, the real real estate values, like the real estate yep. in today's world, um, because you're seeing now people investing in real estate in the metaverse as well as. If people are in the metaverse and are able to spend so much time there, there might be less interest in what we have to offer in the real world. Well, the obvious example is, I mean, you won't care where you live. Like if, if you're my, so, yeah. as a de- developer, you start putting your hat like, well, I'm just going to do all these like tiny 300 square foot bachelors or one bedrooms because the person's just going to be sitting there with this headset on, imagining they're in a penthouse and living like a way better life than their sad existence in the real world. Yeah. So like, is that going to change? how people develop living spaces. Like just put people in these tiny little shoe boxes if they're just going to be in their fantasy world where everything you don't, you goes don't need a lot of space if you can if you can go to this world. So the thing that's kind of captured my attention, I mean obviously we're real estate based, is people are spending millions on land within the metaverse. This now, is yeah. To be clear by yeah. the way, the metaverse again, it's not it's like I'm going to use it for lay terms, it's like the internet. So <clears throat> you're not buying land directly in the metaverse, you're buying it within let's say a platform or a world within the metaverse. So like currently right now there's the internet, you own a domain name, which is like your your landing page. There's the metaverse. You can then create basically a, a domain or a, a world within that and then you can own that space. Yeah. Um, the average person wouldn't just like create a world, but they could maybe join into a company that hosts a world and mm-hmm. purchase space within that, that world. And I think right now yeah. the one that most people might know or have heard of potentially on the news is Decentraland. That would be, I think, the most commonly used one. Um, they have their own crypto. I think they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're traded. The crypto's traded at Mana. Like, Mana's traded. Yeah. And they are, it's basically a world with 90,000 purchasable, saleable blocks uh, of land. Is that finite? Yes. Okay. Because this is the cool thing about crypto. You and I talk a weird amount about inflation, it seems. But one of the things that I've always found really interesting about crypto is that how, how many of the currencies are uh, deflationary. Right, like XRP has a burn, 
you know, a yep. transaction burn, which yep. steadily decreases the amount of available XRP. And, you know, even Bitcoin, it's a finite amount that can ever be mined and a lot of it gets lost kind of organically. So you've got this fall away yep. so that it automatically you know, puts an upward pressure on it. Yeah, yeah. It re re resists inflationary pressure. And my concern with the metaverse, I have tons of concerns about the metaverse, but my concern <laughs> about buying something in the metaverse would be, well, how is it a finite space? Because real estate values are based on being finite. And, you know, it's ironic to me that they create like limitless possibilities, but also we're going to have finite real estate. So not everyone can afford it. Well, Chandler, let me answer this good question that you've come up with. So... For example, Decentraland started and it was created with 90,000 blocks, which are for sale, and they do trade depending on your location because it is basically a square map and the center of the map has a I forget kind of where you where you land and enter into the in, into the game. Well, actually we're going to bring it up here in a second, but and then the value kind of radiates out from there. How it's considered finite is all 90,000 blocks, let's say it was owned all separately by people, you all have voting rights based on how much land you own. So it's called a, it's called the DAO, is it? Yeah, DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, and it's made up of all the people who own the land within Decentraland, and you guys vote on things. So if let's say the creators, or not even necessarily the creators, but someone proposed, hey, let's add ten thousand more units, there would have to be a majority vote that agrees to add more units of land, and right. so everything yeah. is done on a community-based system. So you shouldn't overnight just expect to be like, oh, now there's 10 million pieces of land and mine's worthless, right? So that right. is that's how it's controlled. So are you able to access the game currently, even if you don't own land there? You can just pop in there and you just can walk pop around in at any time. Tanner, you want to pop it up? Is it going to break everything? We we have it here. You can pop in as a guest, and so yeah, so you purchase it, and the land is is attributed by the use of NFTs, which is another big topic. Mm -hmm. But NFTs are non fungible tokens. And basically what they're doing is the NFT is how they assign the, like, oh, this is the part that confused me a little bit, to be honest with you. But NFTs, is, they assign that piece of land. It's saying, like, this is the piece of land based on this code mm -hmm. or whatever, this, this set of numbers. That is then assigned within the blockchain. And it's never lost because it's literally, like, this is the piece. And the blockchain tracks all of them. So when you trade the pieces, there's no replicating it because that exact piece of land is there and registered. And you can't re-register that exact same piece on top. And the blockchain right. is monitored basically by all of the systems on it. And so that's how it's traded back and forth. And Let's just So just to back up a little replaced. bit because other people like, you know, I'm more naive with this stuff because yeah. maybe I'm a bit older. And I also never game. Like I do not like video games. So it's the natural extension of, okay, you're playing these video games online and you're existing in these worlds and maybe you're just there to like shoot zombies or whatever. But you can talk to your friends online. Yep. And you can conceivably like go up and interact with them online and then you can interact with people who are outside of your community group but either they're also online well if that's the case then why couldn't we in theory why couldn't our characters our avatars live in this space why couldn't they go there and buy something unique not something that's a game piece within it but something that Another private person could create a store in here and sell costumes for our avatars and all of these things. So that is how the world expands beyond here's the game narrative of we're here to shoot bad guys to an actual coexistence that is malleable and that is changeable and that you can influence by your playing in it, i.e. much like 
the world itself, only you can make your avatar have a six pack and you can live in a penthouse and all these things. And I love that like capitalism and commerce and real estate are just getting right in there because at some point they're going to be arguing for rent control in the metaverse, but yeah. that's another thing altogether. <laughs> so to put that in perspective, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, here's a prime example. So if you own a parcel of land, you could purchase from a, a, someone, a designer who has built a billboard. And you could have a billboard set up on your land, and then you can rent out that billboard space to companies to Amazing. advertise on your land with real money. So they would purchase mana, and you could charge mana or ETH or whatever you want, Bitcoin. And you say, hey, I want this much Bitcoin for you to put up an ad on my piece of land within Decentraland. And it, it's already taking place. And on the same concept, uh, you're seeing people set up, let's say, galleries for online artwork. And mm-hmm. they can set it up there. And what that does is on top of charging, let's say, an entrance fee to get into the gallery or a fee to trade the the art within your gallery that you've designed and built or purchased from someone the design, you can then the, – the property value might increase because now you're having a certain amount of traffic to your port parcel of land. So the land around you will start to increase in value. And so you're seeing that. And on top of that, same with products. Like you said, Nike has gone out and created – digital products and is Mm -hmm. continuing to create more to sell within it. Well, if you sort of think of like everyone now, even parents older than me, are loosely familiar with Fortnite. Yeah. One, the kids are addicted to it. And they understand that there's this thing that exists in Fortnite beyond the gameplay itself, but even just something as silly as dances. Right. And yep. I don't know if you remember, but there Concerts. were a couple lawsuits about dancers, choreographers who said, no, like I came up with that dance and then you used it in this alternative world and are getting value from it. I should be compensated for that. Yeah. And this is the way, you know, creativity and copyright and intellectual property and stuff can exist in a world that's all fictional, but as soon as that's the case, as soon as it has value in this world that's increasingly being populated by people, uh, by way of their avatars, it gains value. And, and I was very naive as to how many people actually do this. It always blew my mind, like, how many of these guys just played these games nonstop. Like, your buddies all play these games yeah. a lot. I think I think everyone plays these games. I think in general, these games have hundreds of millions of active users, Fortnite being a prime example, at all age groups, to be honest. Yeah. And how much is it social now, do you think? It's a big part of being social because yeah. it's much easier now to be social, especially like it all started with the internet. It allowed us to maintain contact with people. So once you graduate, let's say high school or university, a lot of people tend to move all over the world. We've been able to maintain that contact. Some, like sometimes you lose your best friend because they had to get employed in a different part of the world or they have an interest in being in a different part of the world. These like the internet allows to maintain contact. Mm-hmm. And now video games allow you to maintain contact and an activity that you can share. And the metaverse is increasing yeah. that. So now you can not only do activities that are just video games, you might be able to go in and do like shopping. And, and or COVID a, sort of pushed yeah. this to the forefront too because people who had never, you know, even knew what Zoom was, all of a sudden like Zoom is now part of our, you know, our, our common day life, right? Like this idea of interacting virtually with people that you hadn't seen and all of a sudden, I mean, I did this in COVID, we were like playing a game. Yeah. Like so all of us would be logged in from different parts of the country playing the same game. Yeah. And then so it's a natural evolution to go from there to like, well, what if this game exists in a room and this room exists in a building and this building exists in a city and you just build it out from there? You had the layers. Yeah. Do you want me to blow your mind? Blow my mind, Neil. Piece of land just sold into Centerland. Oh, man. I did hear about this. Yeah. $2.43 million. And these aren't imaginary bucks. These no, are no, real. This, this is, is real money. Cold, this hard. This part's very real. USDs. Yeah. Well, actually, it was mana. 
Yeah. What the hell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. It was traded in mana, but to boil it back to dollars, and it was yeah. actually a real estate firm. So think about that. That is far higher than, and I think it was commercial real estate, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. someone bought a piece of commercial real estate into Central Land, presumably on a great location. Yes. Real good exposure, great walk by traffic um, <laughs> for $2.4 million. Yeah. But there's, and so like, here's, here's another one that I thought was very neat. Uh, I believe it was Domino's. I think it's in Decentraland. Domino's has a piece of land and they built the Domino's there. And so without leaving Decentraland while you're in, wearing oh, your headset, my God. you can order the pizza to your house and never have to actually take off your headset. So you can That's you can be hilarious. playing the game and you can go to Domino's and actually place a real order at your local. And it still arrives in 20 minutes. And or it still free. arrives within 20 minutes and then shows up at your door. The whole works. But you do it right through the game. So you don't have to take off your headset to open the app or phone call them. You can just go there and deal with somebody through that. So it uh, it has some serious application, and I can more and more see the value in some sense on how it's going to impact things. And so, well, it's going to ruin human humanity, right? So there's that. There, it's, it's going to change humanity. You know, there, there's some things in general that the VR has some strong. Chandler, Chandler, Chandler is looking at me very concerned. I, yeah. I, I can see, I see both ends of it. Again, my concern sometimes is like, like you said, it, do people need like the unit sizes? Do people need bigger units? Are, are units going to shrink in size? Does location matter anymore? Right now, everything's location, location, location. And we're spending all this time, effort and money to get into these tight downtown cores. But if you can do your office job from anywhere in the world. Yeah, which is increasingly common. Yeah, And you can maintain contact with your friends anywhere in the world. Do you have the Zuckerberg thing too? Can you cue that up? Just while doing this. That yeah. Then why why would you need to be in a certain location? Yeah, I mean, and if people haven't watched Zuckerberg's Metaverse video, check it out. It is worth checking out. It'll make you nauseous a little bit. Um, but he speaks <laughs> to that point of like, well, you can work from home, but also like we can create a space. Like, look at this pumpkin pie hair gutted freak. <laughs> Like you, you can create so a space that, that that feels either one like your actual office or why make it feel like your actual office? Make it feel like an office that's way better. Sitting on you know, and and we're all here interacting, and then there's these examples like, all right, we're all sitting around here playing cards, and then there's this super like hyper real moment where someone in the metaverse gets a like a video call from the, the real I think, world. The real world. But like in the metaverse, they get the call, which is like some layers of hyper real stuff that I can't even get into right now. But it's where they're trying to integrate it with the real with real life. But it's it's escapism. At the end of the day, man, it is escapism. And that's what I'm concerned about. I was sort of my kids have been playing this game online called Roblox, and I never thought anything of it because it's not that impressive looking of a game. And as far as I could tell, they just like wander around, but they find it cool because they can both wander around together in the same area. And the other day they were like, oh, come over to my house. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Like they just sort of think they have a house in this little spot. And they're six and 10 to put in perspective. Um, and this was weeks leading up to this whole metaverse thing. And so it's like, oh, that's kind of similar to what they're doing. Uh, so I looked into Roblox. And I found a stat that over, was it 50? I think over 50% of kids under the age of 15 play, i.e. present tense actively, Roblox in the U.S. And so some of those kids are under four years old. So really between 10 and and 15, it's probably more like 67% of kids are playing Roblox. And it's another like free design, 
you know, player created content and the challenge they've had is like, then some guy opens a strip club in like the metaverse <laughs> or in, in Roblox, or there's these chat things where all of a sudden some people are chatting to children on there. And so now they've built this whole infrastructure to try to limit some of these things, but it's, it's a challenge. And I think it's just bad for humanity. Like we are already becoming increasingly extroverted. No one wants to even make a phone call. Everyone's like, oh, I'll text, but heaven forbid, yeah, I don't make phone um, calls. you know, a phone call comes through and people are having way less sex now, like under 30, like the, the amount of sex people under 30 are having is dropping steadily. And the reason is, is because they're in these VR situations you know, instead of going out in there in the real life and meeting people, all the apps in the world designed to meet, mingle, and fornicate, and these nerds are in their VR systems, you know, instead. And so people aren't even having sex as much anymore. Like, this is, this is... They're going to create suits so you can have virtual sex. I know they're going to create suits to have virtual sex. I think that's a big part of the metaverse. You're going to be able to pay like 10 grand to sleep with Megan Fox. Well, you happen to know that the gloves are already in the works. <laughs> I don't want to know what those gloves do, and I hope they're washable. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I just can't imagine this sort of escapism from reality is a good thing. It's very, very... You know, and then I came to love Big Brother because I can put on this headset and all of a sudden all my problems go away. I mean, you know, oh, who cares that we, you know, burn the earth to a crumble? Not in the metaverse. Like, we'll just pop in there and, you know, the rainforest still exists in the metaphor, so we'll just ruin it out here in the real world. I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel this is a, a slippery, slippery slope. As you can tell, Chandler's all on board for the metaverse. He's already ordered his headset. <laughs> I do but, like the idea of buying some real estate there and making money off it. But And this is what I wanted to quickly touch on was making money in the metaverse. Now, I agree with everything you're saying. Unfortunately, I believe that the forces at play that are putting this into action are stronger than really anything we can touch. Oh, and I, totally. And I think the natural human desires and pleasure and enjoyment that will come from it will take it over. Right, like how uh, how kids are so addicted to these games already, like Roblox, Fortnite. Yeah, uh, well, Call they're training them at a young age now, right? Exactly, and all of these games, Grand Theft Auto, they're all and Grand Theft Auto has been the most successful game for the last like twenty years. Before really, like a lot of other big giant world based games were, Grand Theft Auto has been huge for this reason that people can reinvent themselves in this world and do whatever they want. So I agree with you that it's going to have a negative impact on our world. But I think more so for me, I'm more like eyes wide open. How do we, how do we make money from this? Yeah. And I try to do some research. Obviously, there's a bunch of different ways in actually investing in the real estate within the game. Yeah, I so, mean, like I always, I love the idea of making. I love the idea of making money. Period. And so we need to invest it, in some real estate here. But I know I hate to say it, but it, like if the world's going to hell, I want the best piece of real estate in hell possible. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. This is and this is my thing. So. Obviously, I, ha I have, like, I'm a bit unnerving about buying the land. Like, the cheapest parcel that we could find here, what was it, like, five grand, ten grand, something along those lines? Yeah. Which uh, seems, like, it's a fairly large investment to make, and I understand it's an <clears throat> NFT, so technically it can't be replicated, and you do own the parcel of land within the Metaverse or Sandbox or wherever it may be, but what stops somebody from creating a new land? Well, this is just it, like... That everybody then wants to be in versus the previous. Yeah, like how do we know that Decentraland is going to be like the spot to be? What if it's Sandbox, this other one? Or what it like, I mean, Zuckerberg is going to smash them all because all he's going to do is like, oh, by the way, like if you have Facebook or Instagram, you also are in the metaverse. Yeah. Like it'll just be instantaneous. Facebook land. That data that they have is, 
you know, we've been wondering for years, like, what are they going to do with all that data? Well, they're just going to move us over to this meta space where it'll be automatic. And, you know, if, if ever there was one to, to probably bet on, it's that one. Because if you are the second or third best area, it's like any other thing. You know, prime real estate is prime real estate. You know, do you want to get in on one and not the other? And it, this is where I see, I feel like it's going to be a similar to like what the dot-com boom and all those things where right now, as the public starts to look at it, these first few that are in place are going to have a massive run. Yep. There's going to be lots, lots of issues when you have mass consumption, mm-hmm. and then there's going to be companies that step in and create new and improved based on the issues that we've found from these previous systems, yeah. and it's going to absolutely dominate and tank the original accounts that are in there. So Decentraland may become like a MySpace where then say, Facebook MySpace. steps in yep. and, and kills the desirability. That being said, the other thing that I'm considering, and I'm like, this I feel like is a, is a sure thing, is do you look at energy production? Because with all of these systems, computing power right. and all these blockchains, the amount of energy consumption is like like we've never experienced before. Oh, they, I know. I looked into like setting up a couple mining devices in my house and you can't justify it here. We're not with our no switch power rates. Exactly. And it'll, it'll consume more power than your entire house and your living existence just to have a few mining machines. And it's going to get to a point where almost everyone's console to just get into the metaverse is going to have to be so powerful that it's going to consume more energy than we already are for an entire household. So for me, in my head, I'm like, well, maybe yeah. it's t- worthwhile looking at energy creation, production. Right. Right? Yeah. That might be, and because again, I where we're probably a little bit old school, we like our, in in the, this universe, we like doing <laughs> that's our investments. So, that's old school now. Well, I'm old school. I like this universe. Exactly. Maybe energy production might be something worth considering. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyways, there's, I'm, we're going to talk about the metaverse more. There's so much about it. It's so crazy. I'd love for everyone to give us a little bit of feedback on what you think. Like there's things about the cryptocurrencies, um, how it impacts Ethereum, like, or not Ethereum, but any of the cryptocurrencies, yep. how it's going to impact our day-to-day lives. Do you see yourself being somebody that would use it? How soon? Yeah. The other thing for me, the big one is how soon do we see this becoming commonplace? Yeah, I mean. Zuck's saying 5 to 10. I'm saying 20. I just don't know. How good are these gloves going to be? Um, <laughs> Chandler wants I, the gloves. Like the the adoption rate to me as a layperson who doesn't play video games, it's going to take a lot to get me there, right? I also have a couple kids. I can't be messing around in this stupid universe. I got things to do. However, for people who are already in that space big time, right? Like that that's such an easy transition. And children who are raised immediately with their iPads. I don't know what this look is that he's giving me there. It's creeping me out. Kids that are already raised with an iPad in front of them Mm. and interactive game spaces, but interactive learning spaces. I mean, even like the the math games that my kid does, like you navigate through this little map of uh, math games and it's a world where you learn math. So they're going to be, they're already early adopters of this technology. Now Chandler, do you have any showings tonight? Oh, I don't, when, but you, I know where you're going with this. What if I said you just slip on this headset, your oh clients slip God. on the okay. headset. Okay, I'm in. And, I'm in. And they walk through and you walk through without oh spending God. 25 minutes driving each way. Well, now you're talking about VR technology, though, not necessarily living in a metaverse. But this is what plays into it. Right, right. Right? It has to be run through a system that handles it all and also handles, like, you can put all your forms in there and the transactions can be held virtually as well. I just love human interaction and relationships and social dynamics that See I think that's the so good bro. for the brain of people. Um, You're still going to have the interaction. You guys are going to see each other. 
no, like you you literally can make an avatar that looks whatever you want and No, but they're going to start living see, the, this is there'll be rules on that. Like if you if you rules right? like your well, avatar is too well, hot. You're a stone cold 7, your avatar is 8 and but, a half, that's not going to fly. But they can start to control that. And even even like strength and stuff like that. Like if you can't physically do stuff within the suit, then it, it might not be able to do it within the world. <laughs> Well, then it'll lose all the appeal, I think. Feel like, this sucks just as much as my normal life. <laughs> You're going to be able to shake their going hand. to the gym in the metaverse and still not being able to, like, press two plates. <laughs> that would suck. I don't, I, you might be surprised that there's going to be some applications that I think will, you'll be like, oh, crap, yeah. this might save me some time. And, like, you have to go to the lawyer to sign documents. Well, the evolution no, of this don't. stuff is is super interesting because, and, man, like, I'm a little bit older than you, so I remember... When the internet came along, as crazy as that sounds, mm. Shabakdo Freena was like this dial-up service type thing, and like it was a thing, and it made the screeching noise, and you couldn't go on the internet if your mom was on a phone call. Yes. <laughs> and then to go from that, and and this was also the age of like party line, where like you could do three-way phone calls, and like that was a big deal. And then cell phones come <laughs> along, and all of this. To go from there, and even when I was in 2006, when I went away... Party line. Party line. <laughs> when I went away to do my master's in 2006, I was, you know, to try to communicate with my wife who was back in, in Canada was very, very, very difficult. Like, there was no FaceTime. There was, like, we got Facebook was had an early version of FaceTime through its messaging. Very unreliable, very grainy, like not good quality. And then slowly from that, even to, again, this advent of doing meetings by Zoom or or this software, that's new in the last two years and things will never be the same. I have people now who go out of their way to effectively refuse meetings, insisting that it's on meets or or, or, yeah. or Zoom. And then I show up at the boardroom like an idiot and they're like, oh, you're here? I'm like, yeah, I thought like I would come in person. And they're like, Ugh. Right, that's but gross. that's... You know, it has come a long way in a quick period of time and I don't know, nothing's off the table. But once people start buying it and like we said, once the energy and attention goes there, the money follows. And people are always looking for these new frontiers because this is why weed was such a big deal. Because for the first time in a long time, there was a new product. Completely like a, untouched. A new, Nobody's in that world. Yeah. It, it um, gave opportunity to so many people. The internet was the same way. It's like, this is something entirely new. This isn't like a, a different twist on, you know, this isn't like putting a clock radio in something else. This is that new, new. And this is that new, new. And it's gonna, and that's what creates a lot of desirability because a lot of people, like you're saying, might have an opportunity to start something that they like, this is something that could do amazing there. Mm. Like this world is, is not necessarily tapped for opportunities, but it's become more difficult Here's a new world that we can do what we want to do. Yeah. Anyways, before we go further into this, crazy, we're gonna start filming from the metaverse. <laughs> um, yeah. but My avatar is gonna be dead sexy. I'm hoping we can get some feedback on that. Anyone listening, yeah, give us some feedback, questions, and all that. I'm gonna keep digging into this, and I I'm excited about it. Also nervous and scared at the same time, but I'm gonna start doing some updates on the metaverse on our on our weeklies. Keep us informed. Also, I think it's a nice, it's also going to be a big gateway for cryptocurrencies because there's a bunch of people who are maybe, you know, there's more gamers than there are investors in crypto. And yep. then as soon as you enter these worlds, all of a sudden, you have to have a wallet. Yeah. Right? Like you can see, I don't know if people could see when Tanner brought it up. It was like, do you want to play as a guest or do you have a wallet? Yeah. All of a sudden, now the adoption of cryptocurrency is much more commonplace. Yeah. So that's why I bought into crypto, man. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. 
He's all, all right. in. I'm all in. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you liked it. Uh, like, comment, share. Share, please. If you have something you think that would enjoy yeah. what we're talking about, let us know. And yeah, man. Appreciate it. You everyone. guys have been great about sending in questions. Keep doing it. We want to we wanna address them and trying to trying to go over it. We, uh, we're changing studios, hopefully, with, by the next one. Yeah. So let us know if there's a big difference, but we'll, we'll update you guys there once we're there. Moving on up. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.